Welcome to the Newberry Tart Podcast. Your hosts, Marcy and Jenny, are talking and drinking their way through Newberry award-winning books, past and present. Hi, and welcome back to the Newberry Tart Podcast. I'm Marcy. I'm Jenny. Today we are talking about The Loner by Esther Weir, which is the 1964 Newberry Honor Book. We have a synopsis from the ALA's Newberry Award Guide. Um, so The Loner by Esther Weir, and it's illustrated by Christine Price, was published by McKay. Both nameless and homeless, the boy wanders the country with other migrants, hoping to find work and food. Finally lost and weak from hunger, he collapses and is found by a woman called the boss. The gruff but gentle sheep rancher names him David and gives him a chance to make his own life on her Montana ranch. So, what do you think of this book? You have a very interesting look on your face. This book is sad. (laughs) This book is long. It's not even that long. It just feels like it's long. Um, it just... This book is 151 pages. <laughs> it is very just painstakingly detailed about not that much of a... I mean, it's it's painstakingly detailed about a story that's not, to me, that interesting. There are aspects that are interesting... When I first started, I got really excited because I thought, hey, I'm going to be reading about an itinerant worker. It did at first feel sort of like Grapes of Wrath Jr. Yeah, it it was very interesting to me, you know, because I hadn't really read much from that time period other than maybe Grapes of Wrath, things of that nature. Um, Certainly not a children's book. And so I I was on board at first, and I thought that it was interesting. But from the very beginning, he's on the road by himself he doesn't have a name he doesn't know how old he is yeah he gets he pairs up with this guy who ends up stealing his money then he pairs up with this family who their young daughter Rady is super into this kid and like teaching him starting to teach him how to read and he starts to feel part of that family and then Rady's hair is stuck in a plow and ripped off and she's killed right oh yeah oh okay oh yeah okay so they're following this machine that's picking or like digging so that they can pick potatoes behind it and she's come up with a name for him which is super significant to him since he never had one and as she turns around to tell him what it is her hair gets caught in the digging machine and he just stands there and watches. And how did f- it get caught in the digging machine? Was she laying on the ground? Like how close do you have to be behind the Was she gesticulating thing? wildly and her braids were flapping? Like I don't that's what I mean by this book. Like the okay. This is indicative of the rest of the book, which there's a lot of drama, but it doesn't always have a good root in reality or a good explanation. Yeah, well, all right, here's the sentence. Powerless to help, he stood and watched in cold horror while the machine ripped and tore after they'd taken her away and the crowd had gone back to work. He went on picking the potatoes mechanically, numb with grief and anger. Is there anything before that about how, like, why was her head close to that machine? Anyway, but she definitely dies. (laughs) Yeah, but there's a lot of mechanical, there's a lot of physical description that's left out, so it doesn't make sense. Like, is she crouched? Why does this person have the machine so close to a human? Well, it sounds like they're following it, right? Yeah. So they can pick as it goes. And I'm sure that, especially back in those days, the safety... She, did she trip? Like, there's no explanation Maybe in her how her hair got... 
Her hair's that long. It's like Rapunzel. I feel like if you're in a in an itinerant family, like farmer family, and your hair is that long, they've cut it and sold it or made pillows out of it. Who knows? They made jewelry out of hair then. Yeah, I mean like well, I mean, that was a common Victorian practice, yeah. especially if someone died, but there wasn't any hair to make jewelry out of after she died. Yeah. So <laughs> to to go on. Then he like he's bereft with grief. He runs away. He slides down the side into a ditch, like the side of the road into a ditch where the sheep herder woman named the boss, as we heard in the synopsis, finds him. He's fe- He's got such a big fever. He doesn't know where he is or who he is, but he doesn't have a name anyway. She takes him into her, like... It's like a wagon, like a... Yeah, a wagon. And then he's just like asleep on some potatoes with a bag. <laughs> over so, him. so it's so cold there that like he gets the bed but part of the duties of being in the bed are that you sleep holding a bag of potatoes so that the potatoes don't freeze mm-hmm. and they never really went into more explanation on that but either it's because they don't want their food to freeze or maybe those are seed potatoes i don't i don't know and i learned what a sugan is Did i was you know gonna what a ask was? well it said it was a blanket it is a blanket but it's like a type of tarp hold on I went to the internet, (laughs) like a good person uh, with a magic phone does, and I found, which I thought you would find this very funny, I found this website called True West Magazine, and a column called Ask the Marshal. Oh, (laughs) jeez. With a man who I don't think has ever been an actual cowboy. He just likes wearing a cowboy hat and talking about cowboy things. He's going to get you. Um, and so he says in his, uh, I guess someone wrote in, what is a Sugan? So this is True West Magazine's advice column. Okay. And someone just asked, what's a Sugan? And a Sugan is a quilt or wool blanket wrapped inside a waterproof tarp. Huh. Okay. Given its bulk, the cowboy usually chucked his bedroll into a bed wagon or the hooligan wagon. That sounds fun. Which also carried food and water through rough country. If he traveled alone, he likely brought along a pack animal to carry the sugan, as it was too large to tie behind his saddle. Interesting. So that must be like like in old Western movies. You see that bedroll thing? Yeah. That must be what that is. Huh. I never even, like, my brain went straight to, like, sleeping bag. Well, the way that it was described, it seemed weird. Like, the way it was described in the book, it seemed to be... an a strange thing that she was sleeping under. Yeah. And the way it was described, like it was very she got specific. in it and stuff. And I was like, this is not just a blanket. And so, um, according to the true West magazine advice column, it's not just a blanket. Hmm. It's a fancy tarp blanket situation <laughs> for cowboys, for cowboys or sheep herders named the boss. Sure. Um, so, uh, this, this young man stays with the boss Learns about her family. Learns her son is dead. Um, Killed by a bear. Mm-hmm. Learns she- that his wife is still alive, Angie. Meets uh, Tex, who is the man who makes sure that the boss has supplies. Mm-hmm. There's like a home base to the ranch. Mm-hmm. And he is a farmhand there. And he comes out like on a weekly supply run to wherever she is with the sheep. Mm-hmm. Um, but he essentially hopes to live with her and there's never any like discussion about it really no 
And for someone who had been going willy nilly kind of from person to person and, um, you know, just earning what he could and then giving money to whoever he's with for like room and board, you would think there'd be some kind of discussion Mm -hmm. where he wouldn't, he would be like, so I'm going to live with you and work for you. Something. (laughs) Eventually the boss gives him a name, David, Mm -hmm. um, because he is turning into, he's learning how to be a shepherd. And he like, they, they play a game sort of where he, they open the Bible and opens to a random page and he points and whatever name he lands on is going to be his name. And it turns out to be appropriate. So, I mean, his name could have been Bathsheba. Yeah. It could have been Moab. Nebuchadnezzar. It could have been Ephesians. (laughs) It could have been Canaan. It could have been all sorts of things. Any number of unfortunate things. But David is very lucky. He... For whatever reason, the Bible lands open or falls open to the exact appropriate page. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, so there's also a dog that enters the picture around that time. So Jupe enters the picture. This dog enters the picture. David starts to care for the dog. Dog is a little standoffish. Dog's got an attitude problem. And then it progresses... Some things happen to some of the sheep. The boss is like, oh, you're not really that good of a sheep herder. David's the wrong name for you, which that was a pretty... That is a very hurtful thing to say. That's a very hurtful thing to say. And then David proves his mettle by shooting a bear that's attacking Jupe slash the sheep slash people. (laughs) The camp. Yeah. I like, this is terrible, but like, I found it very amusing how the bear would like come in and like rough up the camp, but nobody was there. But I have to say, like, I think I have a different, uh, take on the book than you. Like, I actually kind of enjoyed it. Like there's a lot about it. I don't like, but at the same time as just like a kid's sort of, not survival and not adventure, but like something in between, like I liked it. Like I enjoyed reading it. It was just to me, it's too melodramatic for me to enjoy on that level. Um, like we talked about, I mean, he is given a rough, he has a rough life. (laughs) He, you know, happens upon the boss happens upon him Mm -hmm. and then things are okay for 80% of the book. Things are okay. There's not a lot of internal processing. There's not a lot of analysis. There's a lot of point A to point B to point C to point D, just a lot of trotting for me yeah for me like my general impression of this this is totally fine like story for kids whatever but it felt like when a woman author is trying to write an adventure book for boys specifically when that's not quite their bailiwick or you know you could just write for kids in general i know but it felt like she was specifically yeah. writing for boys to be like ooh adventure boys story boys will like sugans yes you know like boys will like shooting like and maybe i'm maybe i'm doing her a disservice this author but i just that's just what it felt like mm-hmm. well let's learn a little bit about the author um yes her name is esther weir of course um and she was born in Seattle. Um, Went and to UCLA. She started off writing poetry. She ended up marrying a naval officer in uh, in China. And she lived in China for a while. And then they moved to Virginia. She passed away in 2000. Um, At so the age she, of 91. 
Yeah. And so she wrote books of poetry. She wrote stories. She also wrote four books on military social customs. Yeah. So I was reading. So in 1956, she co-authored the answer book on naval social customs. Is Um, that a children's book? No, it's like a social etiquette book for like living as a naval officer's family. Oh, wow. Um, But then this book was actually her first book for kids. It says she worked with children and teenagers and she had a radio show for women. Hmm. I wonder what that was about. I, I may know. need to look that up. And she had two kids, so I wonder if that's where this started. Um, and she actually wrote quite a few other books, but this is the only one. Uh, I mean, apparently they were all fairly well received, but this is the only one with any significant uh, interest as far as further information available about it. I think a lot of her stuff has been lost to the wind of time. Yeah. But to be honest, I, I can see how that would happen because this book will have retained some notoriety because it's a Newbery, but at the same time, it's just not, it was a perfectly fine read, but it was not compelling enough for me to want to like kind of keep it in the rotation. Yeah. I think there are other things that have done this better. Mm-hmm. Um, if you break down the components, there's just other, other books that have done this better. say that I really was enjoying the whole itinerant fruit picker story before it took a turn and I'm not against the whole ranch life theme either but I found those background aspects more interesting than the actual plot of the story if you know what I mean like no I mean because those are more historic that's more historical content yeah um so yeah I mean you get to know a period of history kind of from the ground. That's that's always interesting to me. And I'm I'm with you. When it first started, I was like this is something I hadn't read before as a children's book. Um I'm interested to see particularly set during this time period. Mm-hmm. I'm interested to see where this goes. And um it just is kind of a muddle to me. Yeah. I, I mean, there's a lot of information. One thing I did like, there's a lot of information about sheep herding. Yeah. I didn't know about that stuff before. Call me boring. I don't care. I did find that stuff interesting. It was interesting, and it was interestingly written. And I got a very distinct impression of of Montana, mm-hmm. which was really interesting because I haven't really read much about Montana before, but that part was very well written. It seemed like the background and the historical context was a lot more compelling to me than what was happening. But that part was so well written. Mm-hmm. Um, there were some things that I did not enjoy uh, for one thing, the whole idea of the bear. Okay, so the bear has killed the boss's son, right? A grown He was grown at the time, grown and married. But he was out hunting, and he got killed by the bear. And they don't know exactly what happened, except that he got killed by a bear. So she's got this vendetta against a bear. But at no point do they explain like how she knows that that's the same bear, right? There's more than one grizzly bear in Montana. Like, how does she... So, like, she's tracking any bear that she comes across. Any bear track. She's scattering bear traps around. Somebody gets caught in one and almost dies. Like, she... As soon as she sees a bear track, she's like, all right, you watch the sheep and runs off and, like, tries to get... Like, I don't understand. In the story, she explains that, like, you know, bears don't just, like, track down and hunt a person. Like, you would come across them when they're in the middle of a kill or whatever, and they make it sound very rational. But then she's like, I got to kill the bear. Like, why? Why is that the be all end all? Well, and that was very much at odds with her character to me. Yeah. You know, she's this very, um, I would say grizzled, a grizzled figure. She has lived a ranch life. She's a single lady by herself. 
Um, lots of descriptions about how she's not soft like other women. I'll get into that in a minute, too. Yeah, um, lots of descriptions of her cutting a figure like a man, basically. Um, so, I, yeah, I mean, that seemed at odds with a lot of the other things that we um, were, were shown and told about about the boss. Well, okay, and so that obsession that she has with the bear leeches over into David, and he feels like the only way he can prove himself and ingratiate himself enough with everybody in the book to continue living with them is to go kill this bear. Which, one, is clearly not even true, but two, works. So so he goes off and, and manages to kill the bear, and everything is like pie in the sky from then on. And I think that that is a terrible climactic event for this book. Not necessarily pie in the sky, but there's a twofer, right? Like he kills the bear, he shoots the bear in the brain, mm-hmm. and then the boss gets sick and he nurses her back to health. Well, but he endangers her health to begin with. She was already sick. And then when he leaves, she sees him take the gun and leave, which he's been forbidden to do, and follows him out into this like terrible weather to like get the bear. So... I know that he nurses her back to health with the help of Tex and everybody, but it's kind of his fault that she got so sick in the first place. Like, he keeps disobeying in lots of different ways, and there are no repercussions. Like, he falls down a shaft of a mine and, (laughs) you know, like, lies about where he's been, and, like, sheep die because he wanders off. It's just... It's very melodramatic. <laughs> it's melodramatic, but also like unrealistic, I think, because if anybody behaved that way, like there would be repercussions, I think, in that kind of a lifestyle. Yeah, there would be. Yeah. There'd be a lot of repercussions. And I think, you know, the most minor is the boss saying, Dave is the wrong name for you. <laughs> it's mean and it's kind of, it harkens back to the the fear and pain that he felt with Rady's death and like the fear and pain that he's had his whole life. He doesn't know where he came from. He doesn't know his parents, but it's not, it's pretty minor compared to what he could be like, how he could be um, disciplined or taught a lesson. Yeah. That part seems unrealistic to me. How did he survive as many years as he did? Oh, I don't know. He's just like, well, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. Let me go climb down this mine shaft and fall in the hole and I can't swim and there's water at the bottom. Yeah, and that's another part of this that's like he was living on the road by himself, by his wits, right? Mm -hmm. But he he can't stay in one place at the ranch and not get himself into mortal danger. With people specifically taking care of him. Yes. Yes. So I'm just saying, I don't think, I don't think that it's a good, a well fleshed, fleshed out. I don't think it's a well fleshed out realized character. Yeah. I hate the characterization of the boss. So the boss is referred to in such conflicting terms that I don't even know what to think. Her main event in her life is the death of her son, right? And sort of avenging his death on this bear. So, like, she's got this whole... Her entire backstory is about being a mother. But she is portrayed as the most unfeminine, unnatural, like, humongous woman ever, right? (laughs) She's hulking. She's big. She's dogged by her bigness. Like, she's. it says she's six foot two in her boots. I'm sorry, but I'm six feet tall and barefoot, like... It's not that big. 
<laughs> no, and, and that's, that's a sticking point for me as well. It's great to have a powerful woman character in a book, right? Mm-hmm. It's 1964. We've got this gi- giantess. <laughs> yeah. But she's treated as an oddity again and again and again. Not she has power and this is amazing and she's like Paul Bunyan. Yeah, no, she's like this poor hulking beast that suffered for her size her whole life. Yeah, and it's like, what what are you talking about? Like, she has her own ranch. Like, yeah. She, it's the middle of the Depression. She has her own ranch. Like, she has her own business. She has built an empire. Like, she's a powerful lady. Well, yeah, and then at one point she gets upset and she cries. And they're like, oh, they're shocked. They're like, ooh, just like a woman. Like, what does that even yeah. mean? <laughs> no, it means that, um, well, we know what it means. It means that if you don't fit some kind of physical ideal, then you're not feminine. And yeah. that is, is reiterated again and again and again in this book. Yeah. Well, which brings me to the it's other... gross. It is gross. But it brings me to the other weird aspect of this book, which is that nobody has a proper name. So they... Angie, Angie does. But she's angelic. Yeah. And, and the son, Ben, is clearly like a reference to the biblical character of Benjamin, who's the youngest son who is lost. Mm-hmm. But like Tex is named for Texas, where he's from. Mm-hmm. Angie, I think, is just because she's angelic. Boss is called Boss because she's the boss. But like you never hear anybody's real name. Is Ben not his real name? Well, I mean, it's just it's more named after like an attribute than an actual like naming mm-hmm. of a person because they're a person. Yeah, that's true. It's weird. It's, it is odd. I Like that when they start the beginning of the book, he's riding with the old man, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, I guess that, um, I mean, Rady, who Rady, had her hair ripped off. Yeah. Rady, has Rady a has name. a name. Rady has a name, but see, Rady actually cared about him. So I was wondering if at the end they were going to like, the boss was going to have a real name or he was going to start calling her mom or something to like really give her like the identity that matters. But that didn't happen. Mm-mm. There was never any like, symbolic wrap-up of that particular aspect of this book no i mean she basically comes out of her fever says you did good you can live here yeah (laughs) that's it which he already was living there he's putting himself and everyone else in danger repeatedly but he was already living there yeah and it was like an accepted fact that he was going to live there yeah. Like early on in the in the book when he meets Tex, Tex tells him that the concept of a of a bum lamb, which is when a there's a, a lamb that's abandoned or orphaned and there is a mother sheep who is missing her her baby lamb and they take the skin of the of the sheep and put it on the orphan and that makes the mother accept it and that is supposed to clarify the entire relationship between David and the boss, but it's just weird. It's weirdly done. But again, like in reading the story, like I can see how it it's not bad. It's bad. <laughs> it's it's not like some books where I'm like, oh God, I'm never gonna get through this, or like things that are specifically so badly done that I just can't deal. Like for me it was a an acceptable adventure story. It, just it, not a great one. It's it, not memorable. It isn't for me. Um I think when you pull it up against other characters, uh I mean, just the the one we most recently read, um, set in set in Big Sky Country, One Came Home by Amy Timberlake. In order for me to get on board with one of these stories, one of these big adventure stories, I want the main character, or at least the main characters, 
to have something unique and interesting about them. And David has very little about him that's interesting. And I, I felt cheated a bit because I felt like at the beginning we are told that he's basically a blank slate, but I thought he would at least have memories or at least have opinions or have some a personality. Yeah. Some personality that he has made it that far. Mm-hmm. And there's just not, there's just nothing really to me that makes him compelling. I, I think when I think about this book, if I do think about this book, it's going to be thinking about the background of it and not David. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I agree with you there. It's just an average kind of... It's fine. Like I said, I learned a lot more about sheep herding than I ever thought about before or thought about seeking out. Um, that was good. Um, but overall, I, I don't recommend this book. I, I don't see the merit really in it. Um, I mean, it was, for me, a mildly enjoyable read. I think that as a modern reader, you probably, I wouldn't recommend this just because the culminating event is this successful stealing of a gun and killing of a bear against against what you've been told to do. So it's just not a great message necessarily. I mean, the underlying message of wanting to have a, a place to live and a place to belong and a family is totally fine, but the way it's accomplished is not great. Yeah. And there's there's no redeeming factor about that. Well, he steals the gun and kills the bear to like feed slash support the boss's obsession. Yeah, and to keep to keep Tex from going out and doing it and getting hurt or killed the way that Ben was, which is laudable, but it's still he really just wants to take that gun and kill that bear. Like that's been reiterated throughout the story. So <laughs> I think it's a little bit of rationalization. Yeah. And he, you know, nearly gets Jupe killed. The dog gets severely injured. Um, ends up with like losing the loss of a leg. He made he made the boss get worse because she was ill and ran after him. You know, he, he didn't help a lot. <laughs> yeah. Everybody is happy that the bear is gone. But again, who knows if it's the same bear? I mean, there's more bears in the world. I, <laughs> I just had this like Moby Dick moment reading it where I was like, all right, I'm learning about sheep herding instead of whale catching, right? <laughs> like they're after this like special bear, but it's not even like a white bear. There's no distinctive thing about the bear that makes it. A great white bear. Yeah, yeah. seriously. <laughs> like, just, oh, that bear has like a lightning scar. I see that that's the Harry Potter bear. Like there's no, <laughs> no distinguishing mark. Yeah. It's just a bear. Yeah. So it just feels anticlimactic and kind of a letdown because you feel like if he's really learning to like be part of a family, then he should have learned how to be part of the family and not endanger it for something specious. Um, so I have read betters. Um, and for different aspects of the story. So for to read better, um, a, a boy traveling, um, but not buddy by Christopher Paul oh, Curtis. Yeah. Um, you have in that book, you have a character, but bud, not buddy who uses all of his resources, internal resources to travel. And you get a great story. You get, you get characters along the way. Um, and you see a lot of growth, and there's a really great resolution, right? 
um, for the aspect of itinerant farming or immigrant farmers. Um, we have Esperanza Rising by Pam Buenos Ryan. So you have Esperanza Ortega, who is a wealthy girl who could get anything she wanted. And then one day her father's killed by some bandits and the family is left with nothing. Esperanza and, and parts of her family make it to the United States and they end up becoming um, migrant workers. Um, so it's about Esperanza you know, reconciling her privileged background and her background in, um, in Mexico with her life now during the Great Depression in America. Hmm. I had on my list a junior novelization of The Grapes of Wrath because I feel like if you're interested in the life of migrant workers, that's like your classic go-to book. But they do have um, abridged versions that are somewhat more kid-friendly. Um, and then this reminded me a little bit of some of the Little House on the Prairie books where they are trying to survive in the long winter um, or uh, in Little House of the Big Woods when they talk about the bear, although it's brief. Um, but just sort of that survivalist mentality, although it, of course, happened earlier than these books. And um, better written. And as a little side note, not a read better or a read alike, um, the stuff with the bear, the boss and the bear, reminded me of the movie The Great Outdoors. <laughs> yeah. Well, and then another book that we are actually um, going to be discussing very shortly is another read better than, in my mind, uh, Sing Down the Moon by Scott O'Dell is also very much preoccupied with sheep herding, um, but I think uh, is done a little better. Thank you so much for joining us today on the Newberry Tart Podcast. We were talking about The Loner by Esther Ware. We'll see you next time. Bye. Production assistance for Newberry Tart is provided by Raphael Siebenman and Liam Grove. Graphic design by Liz Mytinger. Intro and outro by Ariana Hargrave. Theme music for this podcast is provided by the laid-back and local Throckmorton Ukulele Band. You can hear more of their music on Facebook. Find more Newberry Tart episodes at iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Our website is Newberry Tart. That's N E W B E R Y T A R T dot com.